So uh, just like with the other sections, we're going to read verses on the front end and then talk about it afterwards. So we're going to get started with prophecy. If you want to go ahead and find these various texts and uh, when you get there, you can read it. We'll start with the uh, second Peter one, 19 through 21. So flip there. Someone go to Acts 2, uh, Acts 11, Acts 21, and then also 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 5. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Acts 2, 17 through 18. Acts uh, 11, verse 28. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Then Acts 21, verse 19. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Okay, I need to check that one. I, I, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I wrote it down. They heard it. They glorified God and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have, been, who have believed their selves to law. I'll have to check that one. Uh, <laughs> go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. I'll find the whatever I was supposed to say there. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Mm. Thank you. And then I'm going to read what I was supposed to write down for Acts 21. It starts in verse 10, and I'll just read that section. He says, While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So you have uh, Agabus. He was mentioned earlier in uh, chapter 11 and also in 21. That should be verse 10 through uh, 11 of Acts 21. So these uh, are the verses uh, before you as we consider prophecy and try to understand what is the gift uh, and then also um, how can we sift through the confusion a lot of times that we see today with it. So again, um, like the other spiritual gifts, prophecy is for the edification and the building up of the church. Now the question is, how does prophecy edify and build up the church? If you look at the, the, one, the verses we've already read, which I, I don't mention here, but you know the ones we've read about prophecy and, and listing out all those gifts, Paul's argument uh, between tongues and prophecy is that prophecy is more edifying to the church than tongues is. Now the question is, why is prophecy more edifying than tongues? And according to Paul, it's because when people hear prophecy, they are edified and they are built up and they are made more mature as believers. 
So Paul's cont- what, he, what he's saying is, if the goal of the believer is to be mature, if the goal of the church is to build mature believers, then prophecy is better for that than tongues is. So then the question becomes, what do we mean when we say prophecy? And defining this is, is very uh, important. Because just like with apostle, that term can be used in the sense of someone who, who occupies a position of authority in the church. And it can also be used of a, a verb or a function that someone performs within the church. So with apostle, you can be sent out as an apostle just to minister to somebody. But you can also be the apostle referred to as, you know, Peter, uh, James, John, Paul, those people who are apostles. Prophecy is very similar. And I've, we've looked at a couple of verses that talk about this. The, the key one, the one you might want to have, let's say, page two in your Bible is the second Peter verse. I listed that one first. So if you're not there, I would encourage you to turn there. But as you're turning, I'm going to reference uh, in Acts 11 and in Acts 21, we see a man named Agabus who's considered a prophet of the church. And Agabus, not once but twice in Acts, gives prophecies, both of which are true and valid and, and occur as he spoke them. So we have Agabus who's considered a prophet in the sense that he, he can foretell the future. And then in 2 Peter 1, um, and I'll, I'll read those verses again for you, uh, I want you to notice how it uses prophecy in both senses that I've just mentioned. It, it talks about the office of the prophet as well as the, the gift or the, the application of prophecy in maybe like a lowercase p sense. So 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 19 It talks about uh, prophecy in these terms. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he uses the term almost in two different senses in that same verse. He says, first and foremost, that no prophecy was ever produced by someone's own interpretation. So he uses interpretation to talk about what prophecy is. It's not someone's own interpretation. It's the scripture interpretation. And then he says, no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it carries first a revelatory sense, someone who's able to proclaim or reveal new information. That's that second use of the term a prophecy that was not produced by men, but men spoke as they were carried along by God. And then it also carries almost an interpretation or an application sense of scripture in, the, in that first sense where he says in verse uh, 20, knowing first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So he's referring to documents that exist and applying those documents or interpreting those documents. He's saying no prophecy like that comes from someone's own interpretation. It comes from the scripture as correctly applied. Right? In the same way that no prophecy comes from any one man's opinion, it comes from God who speaks it. But he's using both senses of this term, and I think it's important for us to be able to sift those out. Prophecy in the one sense, what often comes to our mind in the West when we say prophecy, is Agabus who predicts the future, or uh, prophecy as we talk about direct divine revelation from God to say, thus saith the Lord, and then declare something. This is often what's seen in the Old Testament prophets, both major and minor, where they say, thus saith the Lord, or an oracle from the Lord, or the oracle of Hosea to the people of Israel. It's new revelation from God to the people of Israel. And we see that also in the New Testament. It's almost like no one could confirm this, but now they're telling the future. 
And then you also have a text that would allude to the fact that prophecy is also, as in Paul talks about it in uh, the first Corinthian sense, not just foretelling the future or predicting future events or giving new revelation, but it also seems to be a unique spirit-empowered gifting to apply current texts, put them together, and to uh, explain them or, or put them onto someone's life. So he talks about prophecy as building up and edifying the church. He probably doesn't have in mind constant new revelation flowing into the church in Corinth. What he likely has in mind is someone applying scripture to that person's life in the way that Paul talks about it here. This is not prophecy from someone's own interpretation. He's talking about prophecy from the correct interpretation of any text of scripture. So prophecy has essentially two different senses that it carries. And this is not new in the New Testament. This is even the case in the Old Testament, because if you read those major prophets and the minor prophets, there's a mix of new divine revelation from God that tells something that wasn't true before and old reminders of teaching that was true and is just being applied to Israel in that circumstance in that day. So the Old Testament prophets don't just tell future events. They also call Israel back to faithfulness. They exegete previous texts from Deuteronomy and they apply those to the people of Israel. Moses, after all, is called a prophet, both because he predicts the future and because he takes all of the law that he taught. And in Deuteronomy, he preaches and applies that to the people of Israel, saying, be faithful, stay faithful to the Lord. So he's not just telling them the future. He's also applying that text to their lives. So prophecy seems to carry two different senses, if you'd like. So when I say prophecy, I'm, uh, I'm meaning both of those. They, it could mean one, it could mean the other. It has a range of meaning depending on the context. So in defining prophecy, um, I would say that prophecy, as, as we can understand it in the New Testament, the prophecy that Paul talks about as edifying the church, is applying the word of God to his people in a current situation. So taking the text as it's been revealed, as it's rightly interpreted, and applying it to the people of God for today. This is a spiritual gift, uh, meaning it's not something someone can just train themselves to do and then do it. Um, God, by his grace, is pleased by his spirit to give people the ability to uh, divinely understand culture, to see things ahead of time, and to apply to someone's life particular sin struggles that they have through just the right interpretation of the text and the right application of that text of scripture. So prophecy is not just telling the future. But uh, in the New Testament, prophecy is partially telling the future a new revelation. And in that case, uh, this is worth going into because I think in order to understand both meanings, we have to understand that one of those kinds of prophets, just like one of those kinds of apostles, does not happen anymore today. And one of those kinds of apostles, one of those kinds of prophets still kind of exists or on goes today, if you like. So the kind of prophecy that's forthtelling and divine new revelation does not occur today because it doesn't meet the New Testament standard, once again, of what prophecy is. If you look in the New Testament, the two prophets that we looked at, uh, Acts 11 and Acts 21, Agabus in both cases, both of the prophecies he says comes true exactly as he said them. And when you look at the kind of people who advocate for prophecy today, They'll often say, well, New Testament prophecy had the possibility of making a mistake. And so we shouldn't just knock off someone as a prophet if they foretell something and doesn't happen the way it said it was supposed to happen. In scripture, in Deuteronomy, for example, Deuteronomy 18, you see that for the Old Testament prophet, the standard is, do the prophet, does the prophecy come true? If the prophecy doesn't come true, it's not a prophet who told a false prophecy. It's a false prophet. So in Deuteronomy, the standard is, does the prophecy come true or not? And in the New Testament, it's the same standard. Agabus, when he foretells that Paul is going to be 
handed over to the Jewish people. He binds the belt around his hands and his wrists and he, or his, his wrists and his ankles. And he says, whoever owns this belt will be delivered like this into the hands of the Romans by the Jewish people. But then when you look at the events as they unfold in Acts, you see that actually what happened is the Jewish people were trying to kill Paul and the Roman people almost saved Paul from the Jewish people. So it's not, it, people will argue, well, it's not that what Agabus said came 100% true is like 90% true. But if you look at Paul's account of what happened at those events, he says, I was delivered to the Romans by the Jewish people, at the hands of the Jewish people. So in, in Paul confirms essentially Agabus' prophecy as being totally accurate. So we don't have license in the New Testament to say prophecy is different fundamentally than in the Old Testament. They both have to be accurate foretelling of events, which means that today in the church, no one can say, I have a prophecy for you, and then say, I think it's this, not really sure what that means, do with that what you will. It has to meet the same standard as it met in the New Testament, which means if someone says a prophecy and the prophecy doesn't come true, it wasn't a bad prophecy from a good prophet, it was a false prophet who, who said that. So the standard is very high, right? This is not like something you're messing around with. And so we shouldn't mess around with prophecy and try to distort it and say that it continues, but in some totally morphed way that's not really like the New Testament pattern. In the same way we can't say that with tongues, in the same way we can't say that with healings, right? So then the question is, well, what version of prophecy would continue or persist to today? And I, I'm, I'm going to posit that it's the kind of prophecy that we see Paul advocating for in Corinth, which is prophecy that edifies and builds up the body, not revelation prophecy. Prophecy that edifies and builds up the body is prophecy that takes the text of scripture and applies it to someone's life. This is uniquely given most to, mostly to those who preach in churches. So I, told, I said earlier, you know, there's the gift of teaching, there's the gift of exhortation, there's the gift of discernment. All of those are things that someone who's not a pastor could do in non-pastoral situations. Right? They, can, they can meet with someone, you can exhort someone, just as a disciple of Christ, you can do that. But the gift of prophecy is the kind of thing that Paul says to Timothy. He says, with the laying on of hands and the giving of prophecy to you, I guard you to entrust this gift, to exhort your people, to, rebu- to reprove to, and, and to rebuke them. And how could Timothy, for a whole congregation, be able to take the text and apply it in a new, fresh way to their lives on a regular basis, if not by the Holy Spirit's gift? to give Timothy the ability to apply that text in a way that he would otherwise not be able to apply it. This is prophecy in scripture. That kind of prophecy is not just someone taking the text and rightly exegeting it and then writing a commentary about it. It's someone who can take the text and apply it to someone's life in a way that's, that's new, that's, that's rebuking, that's encouraging. And that's something that that person, that pastor or teacher could not possibly have known that they were going to be able to do something like that. Because it's not like they had insight into everyone's life and then all of a sudden they're applying things. They're applying the text just as they see it. And by God's grace through his spirit, it's landing for people in a way that is totally fresh and totally life-giving, right? It's God's grace. It's God's grace to the person. And I think understanding prophecy in that way is helpful because on the one hand, it explains for us why there are so many people who seem to be doctrinally sound teachers, but not necessarily gifted preachers of the church. And so as a church, it's not edifying for us to say, take a person who's not gifted to preach and put them in a pulpit just because they are able to explain things well. That might mean that they're gifted as a teacher of the church, but that might not mean that they're gifted as a preacher or a prophet for the church. And if someone's not gifted for that and you put them in that role, you're putting them in a place where their gifting doesn't give them ability to go. And then what you're saying is you're, you're setting them up to fail. 
In the same way that someone doesn't have the gift of mercy and you send them all to the hospital visits and you expect them to not get burnt out, they're going to burn out if you do something that's against their natural, their natural ability and their gifting. So in, in all cases, we have to very carefully discern who's actually gifted with this kind of gifting. And in the church today, if you look at the statistics, the people who enter pastoral ministry to preach on a regular basis, the vast majority of them end up quitting or leaving the office before they actually retire from their ministry. And that's because the gifts of prophecy are the most coveted in the church. They're the ones that most people want to do. If they like the Bible, they think this is the natural place to go use that. But then what happens is a lot of people encourage them to that. We have seminaries that will train them for that. And then all of a sudden they're in a pulpit on a regular basis and they realize I'm not gifted for this. I'm burning out and I hate everything about this. And they quit and they leave the ministry. And so it shouldn't surprise us that that happens. I think it actually well explains the phenomenon that we see with the best seminary training in the world and yet a really high burnout rate among pastors. It's because the seminaries aren't supposed to sift if someone's gifted in prophecy or not. How you determine your gifting, spoiler alert, is through the local church. So no, one, no seminary can train someone to be a prophet. Uh, no seminary can give someone the gift of prophecy. And so what we've done in our, let's say, modern church situation is we've done what we do in the free market, where what someone does, they go to a school, they get training for four years, and now they have marketable skills that they will apply to many jobs for. And then that job will look at the skill set and the, and the prerequisites that they've met. And then they'll say, oh, this person's qualified based on their skills. We'll hire them. They must be gifted to do this. And that's not how in scripture you decide who's the pastor of your church or not. In scripture, the calling is from the church to the pastor, and then there's the laying on of hands and the impartation of the gift so that that person can actually run the race faithfully. Paul actually tells Timothy that one of the reasons you should have encouragement to run the race and to exhort your people is because I prayed over you and the, the, we laid hands over you. You should have encouragement to endure faithfully because of that thing. Now, if Timothy didn't have that, what's Paul gonna say? Because Timothy's going to doubt his skills. He's going to doubt his ability to do a great many of the things that Paul's telling him to do. And so how's Timothy supposed to find encouragement, if not through the grace of God, through his spirit? So as the church today, just like we wouldn't take someone and put them uh, into healing if they're not gifted to do that, right? We don't have that running around. We, we would be foolish to try to do that same thing with the gift of prophecy. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time on uh, what, what I would call... Uh, how to, does direct revelation or unique revelation from God still persist in the church today? Because often uh, there are people who use the term prophecy to refer not to a divinely accurate foretelling of something or something with 100% certainty, but they'll talk about prophecy in terms of, um, I, have a, I have an inkling or I have an insight or this might be true, might not be true. I have an impression, if you will. And I think while that is possible in a supernatural world created by God, and his church is certainly operating under his spirit. That's possible. I think it's a, it's a category mistake to say that that's prophecy because it doesn't meet the New Testament standard. That doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. Impressions can be a thing where someone says, I don't know what this means, but I, I feel the need to pray for you right now or I feel the need to encourage you right now. That, that could possibly happen in the church. But the point is the gift of prophecy carries a kind of weight that we don't want to give to someone who's shooting at like a 30% accuracy. <laughs> so... Impressions are safe for the church, but I think vocabulary is helpful for us to understand what we mean and what we don't mean, right? Some people would refer to what I'm calling impressions as prophecy. And if you can discern that that's what they're talking about, you don't have to say this person's nuts and they, you know, you don't have to break fellowship with someone like that. But if someone's saying, no, I believe new revelatory prophecy beyond what's contained in the New Testament is still happening today, that's someone who you might want to be wary of because they're claiming something that is now an authoritative word beyond what scripture has deemed authoritative. So 
there's a, someone can say this and just have made a vocabulary mistake. And you don't want to judge everyone who calls it prophecy the same way. You want to understand what they mean by what they're saying. So there's prophecy that's foretelling, which, I, which I've argued has, has stopped with the completion of the New Testament. There's prophecy that's this exhortation preaching, which I think has persisted in the office of the pastor. And then there's this prophecy of, let's say, impressions. And I think that's safeguarded by the fact that we term it something different and we understand that it is, in fact, different.